Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday sermon series, The Table. In this series, we focus on the seat we all have access to at the Lord's table, as well as the community around us. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. We welcome all of you. We're glad you're How many are glad you're in the house of God today? We welcome you. We're glad you came, and uh, we're going to have a great time. And today we start a new series called The Table. Say The Table. And basically, we're going to be looking at the book of Luke, chapter 14 of the Word of God. And Jesus, on various occasions, when he talked about the feast, and he talked about the kingdom of God, he talked about a table that all of us are invited to. And so as you can see up here today, we have this table. And really, it's a table for everyone to be able to come and sit and have a meal. And there's something really powerful about the table that I want to illustrate today. And if you begin to read the book of Luke chapter 14, we're going to kind of break it down and break down the story of what it all means and what Jesus was talking about. But one of the fascinating things about the, Luke, uh, the book of Luke is Jesus, oftentimes, part of the central part of the book of Luke is that Jesus is coming from a meal, going to a meal, or having a meal. In fact, various different places in Luke chapter, or def- different chapters in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 5, he's at the banquet at Levi's house. In Luke chapter 7, he's having dinner at Simon's house. In Luke chapter 9, he's feeding the 5,000. In Luke chapter 10, he's at the home of Mary and Martha. And Luke chapter 11, he's dinner at the Pharisee's house. In Luke chapter 19, he's having a, a meal at Zacchaeus' house. In Luke chapter 22, he's having the Last Supper. In Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, he's breaking bread with the disciples at Amos. And in Luke 24, he's eating with the presence or in the presence of the disciples. So literally, you can eat your way through the book of Luke. There's something about that. And there's something about a meal and something about gathering around the table that creates an atmosphere. And I believe this is the reason why Jesus was talking about the table or talking about a banquet, because it really relates to every single one of us that are here. And so if some of you want to be more like Jesus, just come to the table, right? (laughs) And add a chili cheese fries on the side or something. But again, uh, uh, this is going to be a tremendous, tremendous series as we get into it. And this is kind of the introduction of the series that we're going to be covering the next few weeks. We're going to go all the way through June. In different areas, we're going to talk about the table and what it means and how it represents the kingdom of God. In fact, I'm looking forward to next Sunday, our Memorial Day picnic. We're going to have a great time. There's going to be, again, lots of food. And I want to encourage you, this is a place where we just kind of have a lot of fun, have a lot of fellowship, and, and I get entertained watching guys think they're athletes, and of course they're not any longer. They were when they were 20, but it's just great to watch. And so how many love the two words, let's eat? How many love those two words? Probably the, most, the best two words in the English language is let's eat. 
And there's something about that, but in the kingdom of God, it relates to so many different things. And of course, we know at the table, it's not only the meeting the need of hunger, but when you come to a table, you're basically uh, having fellowship. It's the best way of showing intimacy. It is the best way to relate and interconnect with somebody else. It's a table of acceptance. And I'm going to read the chapter in just a few moments, but I believe that having meals together actually brings healthier people. In fact, uh, Harvard Medical showed or did a study, and they showed that kids who ate regularly with their parents or regularly at a table with their family were considered a lot more healthier. 72% less likely to experience depression, 72% most likely or less likely to struggle from self-esteem, suicidal thought, develop eating disorders, or use illegal drugs from those who did not. So literally, eating at the table will save your life. It literally will. So meals are important. This is why repeatedly Jesus in the book of Luke is saying, come to the table. He's oftentimes talking about a feast. He's talking about a banquet together, and over and over, Jesus is talking about that. And I believe today that invitation is for you and I. The invitation goes out to those that, that may be feeling like you don't, uh, like you're far from God, or perhaps maybe you feel like you know I've had too many failures, I've made too many mistakes, my life has been a mess. Can I tell you, you are welcome to the table. Maybe some of you, you know, you you had a connection with the Lord, but at some way or another, you've kind of fallen away. You're kind of away from God. You're feeling that. And God is saying, welcome to the table. And so over and over, he's telling you and I to come back to the table. I don't know how often, but even at the pastor, I can end up at a at some store, at a restaurant, and usually I run into somebody somehow. People that are with me say, you always run into somebody, and it's usually somebody that was coming to church, but they haven't been around a while, and they looked at me and go, hey, pastor, hey, how's it going, you know? And I don't have to say anything. Right away, they begin to confess, you know, I haven't been in church in a while. I want to come back. And, and I usually say, you know what? You're in luck. Next week is amnesty week. There's no question to ask. You can come. We're not going to ask you any questions. You're just welcome to come back. Really, every week should be Amnesty Week, right? Uh, we should always be asking people, where you been? What's going on? We just welcome them back. We're glad to see you. That's really what we ought to be doing with people. But it's something that, I tell you, I believe that people want that invitation. And throughout Scripture, Jesus is extending this invitation to come to the table. And in fact, we're going to read this chapter, and it seems like Jesus is uh, covering some mannerism or table manners. When you first begin to read it, why is Jesus talking about table manners and the order of how to eat at a table? And I don't know if some of you, when you grew up, your mom taught you some table manners. How many remember that? When you sat at the table, you're not supposed to sit at the table with your elbows on the table. How many remember that? You're not supposed to eat with your mouth open and all the food coming out. You know, eat with your mouth closed, right? When you get something, you don't go over somebody. You're supposed to ask for it, right? And never wipe your mouth with the back of your hand. You're supposed to use a napkin, am I right? Don't lick your fingers, right? Unless it's barbecue, of course. That's different. But, but... Not supposed to lick your fingers, you know, lick each one. You ever ate with somebody like that? And so, you know, you're supposed to have some form 
of table manners. When you sit at the table, this was taught to most of you that grew up with your family. They taught you table manners, how you're supposed to act when you're at the table. You're not supposed to, uh, you know, be talking real loud and all these different things. And, and all of these things are really extraordinary to the table. So Jesus began to share this story in Luke chapter 14. And we're going to break it down. We're going to dive right into it. Luke chapter 14, verse number 7 of the Word of God. <clears throat> and it says this, Now he told a parable... A parable is basically a story illustrating a point to those who were invited. When he noticed, look at he's noticing some things, how they chose the places of honor. In other words, the higher place on the table or the head of the table saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lower part or the lowest place of the table. So when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up higher. In other words, man, there's a better table for you or a higher place at the table. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. In other words, you're going to receive the honor and the, uh, basically the commendation from everyone else. And then he says, for everyone who exalts himself. In other words, everyone who thinks you're all of that. If you think you're all of this, he says, uh, for everyone who exalts himself, what? Will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So I want to pray today as we get into this message. Father, we thank you today for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that you have invited us to the table, that we can fellowship with you, that we can have communion with you, that, God, we don't deserve it, we didn't earn it, but, God, you've invited us anyway. And, Father, it's by the grace of God that we're here. And so, Father, I pray today for every person in this building, wherever they're at in their life right now, Wherever they find themselves, some may feel condemned. Some may feel like they're on the outside looking in. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak to their hearts and let them know, God, that you love them, you care about them. And so, Lord, I just pray for your anointing as I declare the word of God, that, Father, that people would hear the voice behind the voice. And it's not my wife. It's the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hard for me to pray that prayer since if you weren't here last week, my wife was saying that she was the voice behind the voice. And I said, no, 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 it's the Holy Spirit, guys. It really is. But here's the thing that Jesus is talking about. Uh, as he begins to begin to share this story with him, it sounds like he's giving some practical advice. It almost sounds like some random table manners. He says, you know, when you come to the table, don't take the seat of honor, rather take the seat, the lower seat, so that when you come, they will promote you. And so it kind of looks as you're reading this, uh, like, man, you know what, this is a pretty good idea, uh, and don't do this. So it sounds like he's giving some random advice, but I want you to realize something. As we get into the story, you're going to find that it's not random at all. That Jesus is very intentional about what he says. How many know when Jesus speaks, he's intentional? He has the point that he's trying to make. In fact, I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding. 
used to be years ago. Today, when you go to a wedding, they have a seat chart, right? They give you, you come, and they tell you you're sitting here, and they've already arranged your seating. When I used to go, once, when, you know, long ago when I was a lot younger, uh, there was no seating chart. They didn't even exist. You just, whatever open table you had, that's where you sat. The only reserved seating was probably with the family and the wedding party. Other than that, you came to the wedding or you came to a party or quinceanera, wherever you showed up at, and you sat wherever uh, you found an open seat. So can you imagine coming to this wedding or coming to, let's just say you were invited to the boss's daughter's wedding. And all of a sudden you get there and you're running late, so you kind of get there late and you, you see a bunch of open seats, but you decide that you see table number one, the one way up there in the front, you decide that you're going to sit all the way in the front. There's an open seat right at the front. So you, you decide, hey, you're going to sit down here. And while you're sitting here, all of a sudden, somebody comes to you and says, sir, uh, this, ta- this seat is reserved for somebody else. And so they make you get up, and they said, you, you go sit over there. And they don't point you to the table. They point you to the chairs around, along the wall there. You know, you go. And so now you have to walk the walk of shame. You know what I'm talking about? With your head down. And, you know, I'd rather be humble than get humbled. That's when you got humbled right there. You should have been humble and sat at the open seat here. But instead, you try to get this seat of honor, and you got humbled. Am I right? And if you've ever watched that, this is what Jesus is kind of illustrating. But there's more to that than what Jesus is saying. And it's not as random as we think it is. In fact, we read verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he's hearing the story. He said, blessed is he or blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So in other words, this guy says, well, it's going to be great when we're all there eating and the kingdom of God and having bread, assuming that everyone's going to be there. But then Jesus begins to share this story in verse 16. But he said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Aren't you glad that's the kingdom of God? Just a great banquet. He goes, you know what? He gave a big banquet, you know, because a lot of us, we have this wrong image of heaven you think you're going to be on a cloud you know strumming on a harp you know what right world i picture like this table you know with god and and beef ribs you know what i'm talking about and just it's just going to be that's going to be heaven man we're going to be a lot of laughter cracking up capping on each other it's going to be awesome and so i believe it's going to be a banquet and verse 17 then he says and at that time for the banquet he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Whoo, it's ready. The frijoles are done, man. Whoo, they're ringing the bell. Come, it's ready to come. You know, it's ready to come. Now, here's what I want to kind of let you know why it's done this way. Uh, Back then, there were two invitations that were given. The first invitation, they notified everybody that there was going to be a banquet or there was going to be a wedding. It's kind of what you get today, like save the date. Hey, save this date, uh, you know, six months from now or eight months from now, we're going to have a wedding, and then you'll get the formal invitation later. Well, that's how they did it back then. They went and they told everybody, hey, but instead of giving you a certain date, they would give you like uh, this week. In other words, there was a week, or keep this week open because that week we're going to have a feast or a wedding. 
Because the reason why they would keep a week open, sometimes even a month, is because all the guests from outside, they didn't really know what time they would exactly arrive. And so they had to get about a week. Remember, they didn't have refrigeration. So what would happen was uh, when everybody would come within that week and they realized all the guests were here, then they would prepare the, the meal and then they would go out and tell everybody that was previously invited, it is now ready come. So basically, the people that had already been invited, they had said yes already. So now he went out and said, okay, those that said yes. How many know when you RSVP, you're saying yes, you're going to be there? And when you show up, what? That's rude, man. That ain't right. And so now this guy goes out, and he's letting everybody know, hey, it's now ready to come. Everything's ready to come. Everything is ready to be served. And look at what happens in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Now that is the lame excuse. Am I right? Who buys a property without looking at it? I mean, you got to be dumb. I mean, you, you, went and you, you already spent your money. You already sent a check. You already put a down payment on a property you haven't even seen. And let alone, why do you have to go look at it? Just a piece of dirt. There ain't no building there. And then the second thing, the second guy says this, verse 19. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I got to go examine it. Now, that is the dumbest excuse I've ever seen. Because one yoke of oxen was a half a year salary. He said five yoke of oxen. So that would have been two and a half years of salary for, for oxen that you haven't even looked or tested. It's like buying a car on the internet. And I asked you, hey, what kind of car did you buy? And you say, I really don't know, man. How many miles? I don't know. I hope a little bit. What's the condition of the car? I think it's okay. I have to go look at it. But you already bought it. Wouldn't that be foolish? So that's how lame that excuse is. And look, look at this one. It gets even more lamer on this one. Verse 20. And he said, I married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. Somebody's pretty whipped right here. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Using the wife as an excuse. Now, I don't know any newlyweds that don't want to take a free meal. How many know when you're a newlywed, you're poor, man? A free meal is a free meal. I mean, hey, did you say food? I'm ready. Hey, man. Because, man, when I first got married, I mean, it was Eatles. Everything that ended with Eatles. Cheetos, Doritos. Taquitos, bean burrito. I mean, the way life was, you know. People said a free meal, I'm there. But I, I did bring a gift now. I just want to just say that. And I, I'll tell you that when you're first married, I mean, you're just trying to do everything you can to eat. And so uh, verse 21, look at what happened. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. So he's telling them, hey, these people have made all these excuses. Then the master of the house became angry. Say angry. I mean, God's not happy about these excuses. And he says, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Now, there's two shocking things that have taken place so far in this story. Number one, that the people who had previously said they were coming made excuses and didn't show up. Again, that is rude and that's inconsiderate. 
especially somebody like this man. Apparently, he was wealthy because it was a big banquet. And so you had already said yes, so you're being rude to that master of that house. Number two was the fact that now the master says, you know what? The, uh, go invite everyone. And if you were a wealthy man, you weren't going to just invite anybody. You wanted to invite other rich people, other people with influence. But the shocking thing now is that this wealthy man is inviting the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, everybody. And in verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you commanded hath been done. And there's still room. Say there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now, here's where the gloves come off, especially during Jewish culture. You didn't go out to the highway and the hedges. That's the outcast. These are people that live outside the city. They're not even allowed in. These people are the immoral people. These people are the down and out people. How many know people like that? How many been people like that? Let's say amen. And so he said these people that have, you know, the misfits, those that nobody wanted, the rejects of society, those that are outsiders, he said, go and bring them in. In fact, compel them to come in. And in verse 24, here, here's the key thing in this story. He says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, here's what's interesting about that verse. Because when Jesus first begins to share the story, he's acting like the third person. In other words, it's not about him. It's about somebody else. But now he makes it personal. In verse, verse 24, he says, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall what? Taste my banquet, not his banquet. Now, Jesus is making this story personal. He's saying he's the master of the house inviting people and they've rejected him jesus is saying i've invited all these people i put out the invitation and they rejected my invitation and so therefore i'm going to invite those that weren't previously invited the lame the blind all of those to come in this parable is really a summary of the people of israel because the people of Israel were first invited to God's kingdom and because they rejected. In fact, the Jews in Jesus' day did not receive Jesus as the Messiah, so they were rejecting his message. And Jesus was talking to everyone there around the table. Say, you've rejected me. You've rejected my invitation. You know that I'm the Messiah. You know that I'm the one, but I didn't come in the way that you want me to come. And he says, you know what? Therefore, I'm going to bring, uh, invite those on the outside, which are Gentiles. The Gentiles, the person that's not Jews. You and I are Gentiles. Say hello, Gentile, to the guy next to you, unless you're a Jew. I mean, if you're Jewish, that's awesome, too. Hey, Gentile, what's up, man? Anyway. He's inviting the Gentiles, those on the outside, to come in and be a part. See, this is really a, a, an indictment against religious people because many times religious people act like, you know what, I'm in already, and you don't realize how outside you really are. In fact, they thought they were on the inside, but in reality, they hadn't completely surrendered their heart to Jesus. They hadn't really completely surrendered their hearts to God. They were had it all on the outside, but they missed it on the inside. See, I believe religious people are one of the largest groups of people 
that are going to miss the opportunity to come to the table. In fact, the Bible says this in verse Luke chapter 14. It's, it gets heavy. Say, it's going to get heavy. It's going to get heavy right now when I read this verse. Some of you are going to be offended, but I'm going to read it anyway because it's in the Bible. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciples, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, what? You cannot be my disciple. This statement really confuses a lot of people. Because Jesus says, hate your wife, hate your children, all this. And we say, well, doesn't the Bible teach us to love them? Of course it does. But he's saying in comparison to him, it's going to seem like, hey, what do I mean by that? Most of us have heard this, put God first. How many have heard that? Put God first, your family second, right? You know, ministry third. But we don't realize when we say put God first, he's way up here. Second is a distant second. It's like a marathon. Let me just say, you know, the guy that just won the marathon. Let's just say he just won the marathon. And we say, well, the next guy is, you know, 10 minutes behind. Another guy is an hour behind. If this was God and he, he's first place, the next guy is not a week out. It's not a year out. It's decades, eternity out in comparison. Are you hearing me? In other words, it's the distant second. It's not a close second. It's not God and immediately my family. It's a distant second. In other words, God wants everything. Are you hearing me? It'd be like if a thief came or a robber came into your house and you had your kid there and your dog there and the thief said, hey, one of them's going to die. Which one do I shoot? And it would be the dog, right? I hope so, right? If it's the cat, you know, it's no, even, not even a hesitation. Like, yeah, I take the cat, no big deal. Anyway, we've got some cat lovers in here, I take that. But anyway, the dog would go, right? Not the kid, right? So what I'm saying is not that you don't love your dog, but you love your kid more than the dog. So it would seem like hate because you gave up the dog. But see, in reality, it's just showing your love and your compassion for your child. And so Jesus is saying, I want to be number one in your life. I don't want it to be second place. I've told my family, I said, if you don't serve God, I'm going to serve God. I'm not serving God because of you. I'm serving God because I have a relationship with God. You know, if you guys all decide to backslide, if this whole church does, I'm not going to quit God. You can, but I'm not. I'm not serving God because of you. I hope you're not serving God because of me. You need to have a relationship with God. Am I right? He needs to be number one in your life. And so that's what Jesus was teaching here, that he wanted to be first place, and he wanted to be number one in their life. And Jesus is saying, I want to be the most important person in your life. But basically, you have made excuses is what Jesus is saying. See, there's three reasons why people are going to miss the kingdom of God. Three classes of people that are going to miss the kingdom of God. The first class of people are going to be those that did not take the invitation seriously or did not recognize the value of the invitation. Now, there's some invitation that you get in the mail to whatever occasion, and you may just say, well, you know what? We're not going to be able to make it to that one. Why? Because you're putting value on what's important. 
Oh, but this invitation, no, this is for my brother. No, uh, this is a wedding. You know, my, my, uh, my niece is getting married or somebody getting married. You say, this invitation is valuable. What happens when it comes to the kingdom of God, there are many people that are going to miss God's table and banquet because they don't recognize the importance of the invitation. And it's not like the excuse is evil. It's not like saying, hey, you know what? I can't make it to your table, God. You know, I got a drug deal going. You know, I'm, I got the dog fights, you know, and uh, gambling thing going on inside. No, it's, I mean, these are legitimate excuses. You know, I bought some property. They're not evil. But when you put it before God and you use that as an excuse to justify ignoring an extreme important invitation, then it becomes lame. You may say, well, you know what? This guy wanted to hang out with his wife. You know, what's the problem with that? Not, no problem with that at all. But when it's more important than God, then it is a problem. You've got to know the importance of the invitation. You've got to put value that God's inviting you in the first place. See, I always recognize, you know what? I get invited to the table. That's valuable to me. Have you ever gotten a phone call while you're talking to someone and you're busy and, and you've already, you know, somebody's calling you and you say, I'm busy. I, I, some, as I'm here sometimes, I'm maybe I may have another pastor that I'm talking with. We made an appointment. I'm talking with them. I get a phone call. Somebody in the office says, so-and-so wants to talk to you. and say, you know what? I need to call them back because I'm in an important meeting right now. This is important. I need to get this done. Or whatever I may be doing. Maybe I'm talking to somebody else. And that, that particular invitation to come to the phone, I cannot come. But if my wife calls, the voice behind the voice. <laughs> she calls. Everything changes. No, if she calls and she says the house is on fire, how many know I say, hey, bro, I got to go. One of the kids got hurt. I got to go. I'm pregnant. That's a miracle. I would have to go, you know, something like that, you know. If those things did happen, then I'm putting an importance on the value of that invitation. And so how important is the invitation of God to you? If you really think it's important, then you would put everything aside to make that invitation. To say, I'm going to be there. See, how important is the invitation to you? Do you really think it's that important? I begin to think about the, I don't know how many of you kind of stay up with the royal family. You know, in Great Britain, they have all these royal weddings. I think uh, last year, who was it? Um, who was, I wrote their name down with it. Megan and, Megan and Herod. Oh, some of you do keep up with that. Okay. And then the one before that, uh, years before that was William and Kate. Remember, remember that wedding? There was a mistake on that one because I, I didn't get an invitation, so I'm still waiting <laughs> for an apology from Buckingham Palace, and I haven't got yet. But I, I started looking at the invitation. Why don't you go ahead and put the invitation up, and you're going you're gonna to see this is actually an invitation. And I wanted to get it because in case I get the next one, I want to recognize it. And so here it is. It said, the Lord Chamberlain is commanded by the queen to invite, and they would put your name right there. To the marriage of His Royal Highness Prince Williams of Wales, KG, with Miss Catherine Middleton at Westminster Abbey. And then it gives you the date. So if you got one of these invitations, let's just, just imagine if you got one, would you be saying oxen or no oxen? 
Would you be saying property or no property? You'd say, I'm going to be there. Why? Because you're putting a value on that invitation. You're saying this invitation is so valuable. I can't believe that I'm even invited. I can't believe that they invited me. I can't believe that they did. The Lord Chamberlain is commanded by the queen to invite Omar and Letty Lopez to Beckingham Palace. I'm there. I'm not saying auction or no auction. Can I just tell you this? There's an invitation from God. The Lord Jesus has been commanded by the sovereign God to extend an invitation to you to his banquet, those who are lost, those who are blind, those who are hurting, so he can heal the brokenhearted, that he can forgive those that have sinned. God can restore your life. You have an invitation from God. And today, what are you going to do with that invitation? Can I be honest with you? There's a lot of people today, they don't make it a priority. They don't think it's that important. I've had people say, well, you know what? I, I really don't know the Bible is the word of God. Well, have you even read it? Have you even investigated it? If you don't even know, why don't you take time to read it? Shouldn't that be a priority in your life? Shouldn't that be important in your life? There is a gentleman by the name of, uh, God, forget his name. I'll think of it as they go on. But he was, uh, he was a, an attorney. And then at one point, he actually became, uh, he, he was working for a newspaper. And he went out to investigate or disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lee Strobel. That's who it is, Lee Strobel. And he uh, went out to investigate it only to find out as he began to investigate that the resurrection of Jesus was true. He been looked at all the documents, did everything, and he realized, wait a minute, I'm finding out that this is true because now that I did all the investigation, now I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There's a particular professor in the East Coast, he's an atheist, and what he'll do many times, at least once a year, the student that first come into his classroom he'll say that he's an atheist and he says how many here believe in God and you know most of them will raise their hand he goes how many of you have read through the Bible and you know about half of them will goes, how many have read through the Bible the whole thing and about two people will raise their hand and he says, well how many here have read the Harry Potter books and they all raise their hand how many have read it through and they all say yes and he goes, you believe more in Harry Potter than you believe in God. Because, see, if you really put value on it, if it was really important to you, then you have taken the time to read it and investigate it. Let me tell you something which is really true. See, there's two places, one or two places we're going to spend eternity. One is going to be in heaven with the Lord, where there's no more crying, no more dying, no more tears. Isn't that going to be awesome? And then there's another place called hell, and that's the place of eternal torment, a place of eternal darkness away from God. And we have to decide what invitation do we want to accept. I don't know about you, but I want God's invitation. I want to be at his banquet. <laughs> Number two, the people that miss the banquet are people that feel that they're just too unworthy. So all of us this morning feel unworthy. I mean, when you read this story, it's scandalous that a rich, wealthy man would invite 
the poor, the lame, the blind, the outcasts, those that are, you know, uh, rejects from society. But Jesus is saying God's inviting all of these people. He said he's inviting everyone. And here's what most of us feel. There's, there's something inside of all of us that we don't feel we deserve what we got. All of us have that instinctive in us that, that you know what, we, don't, we, don't, we didn't earn what we received, so therefore I shouldn't be here. And a lot of us sabotage our lives because we say, well, I don't deserve this. And to a degree, it's true. But it doesn't mean you should be invited. How many have ever been to a, a potluck or you showed up at an event and you didn't realize it was a potluck and you didn't bring anything? And so now you're there, and you don't, now you don't feel comfortable about eating food. Am I right? Because you didn't bring nothing? Of course, if you're single, it don't matter. You just kind of embrace the grace. You see those single guys, they're the first ones eating, but, but that's a whole different story. You single people, you're going to see when you get married, that changes everything. Your wife won't let you do that. Anyway, that's the whole, I don't, well, don't look at me serious. I'm just saying to you that you come to the table and, you know, you didn't, you didn't bring anything, and so, therefore, you don't feel like eating anything. And here's the thing. We're looking at what the social matter matters is because I didn't bring anything. I shouldn't eat anything. But can I tell you something? It's opposite with God. God says, I know you don't have anything. I know you're down. I know, but you're invited anyway. You can eat anyway. See, that's the thing about the grace of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. We're all sinners. And it says your righteousness is like filthy rags. When it talks about the rag, it's almost talking like a leper's rag full of disease. Our lives have been filled with disease and sin. And yet God in his grace just says, come, those that are poor, those that are broken, those that are bound, so that I can set you free, so I can do something new in your life. Come, those that are thirsty. That's the grace of God. And here's the third one, and this one's really kind of tricky. But I believe as you read the story, you'll see what I'm talking about. Some missed the banquet because they refused to acknowledge that they are unworthy. See, here's the thing. Those that are unworthy know they're unworthy. But it's those people that are unworthy, but they think they're all of that. These are people that are exalting themselves. Can I just be honest? They think they're too good for God. And these people, believe it or not, are opposite of number two because number two, they know they're unworthy. But it's those people that think that they're all that when reality, they refuse to acknowledge that they are unworthy. In fact, again, this is an indictment against religious people. Because let me tell you what religious people do. They put religion in front of relationship. They substitute religion instead of relationship. How many know Jesus Christ or Christianity is not religion, it's a relationship. And what religious people do is they substitute and say, well, you know what, I'm okay, you know, I'm all right. In fact, if you, uh, if you begin to listen to some of this mainstream Christianity, it's kind of teaching people today, well, you know, we're going to make a better version of you. You're going to be a better dad. You're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better father. And we, can I tell you something? We don't need a better version of you. We need a new you. God wants a new you, a transformed you. Not a better version of you, 
In fact, a better version of you might even be worse than what you already are. We need a new you. See, God is saying, you know what? Your version's not good enough. Can you say amen? And believe it or not, God is saying that you and I are the lame, that we're the blind, that we're the crippled. And without him, we need his grace. We need his love. It may sound backwards to you, but I'm going to tell you today that you and I are lost without Christ. We need his mercy and we need his grace. Until you recognize that, the quicker you recognize that, the quicker God will come in your life and change your life. See, some people will never come to the banquet. They'll never taste the banquet because they're so prideful. Because they don't realize they are unworthy. And yet God, out of his grace, how many have heard of the story of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5? One of the things that Jesus says is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, when we read that, we're, ta- we're thinking it's talking about poor as far as wealth and money. He's not talking about that. When he says poor, he's saying, blessed are the humble. Those that are humble or poor and know that they spiritually are bankrupt without God. The qualification to come to God's table is realize you're nothing without God. In fact, Jesus is saying, you know what? I've taken your place at the lower part so I can promote you to the higher part. See, Jesus is saying, when you come to the table, realize that you don't deserve it and sit at the lower part of the table. Sit here and say, God, I I can't even make it up there. And as you sit here, Jesus comes over And he says, no, friend, I love you so much. Come, come, here, sit here, because this is the place of honor, and this is the place of freedom. How many thank God for that? (laughs) That I could sit here, that God would honor us, the nobodies, the broken the undeserved. And he says, no, sit here at the head of the table because I died for you. And you recognize you're nobody. And you recognize you're not all that. You were sitting there. You humbled yourself. So therefore, I'm going to exalt you here. How many thank God for that? See, what keeps me serving God What keeps me walking with God every day of my life is, see, I remember I was sitting there. I remember the lower place every day. God, I don't deserve it. Every day I wake up, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. You've you've heard the song. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But out of his grace, it's a reckless love. Not that God's reckless. God's not reckless. His love seems reckless, that he would love us, that he would reach out to you, sinners. Because see, here's the thing about it. Come on, let's just be honest. We're all sinners. We can hide it on the outside, but man, God knows exactly what's going on the inside. And some, I can tell you this, some of us, what you got going on the inside is a mess. You, you're, you're, you're a wreck. You're so much sin in your life. 
And yet God said, come, come. I've got a sheep for you. Not there, right over here. But those of you that say, nah, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm all right. You'll never get to sit at the table. You won't taste the banquet. And I'm here to tell you today, I want to taste the banquet. I want to seat at the table. How many want to seat at the table today? God, I want to seat at your table. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.